are listening to the Echo Church Podcast, and we are on a mission of rescue and restoration into a vibrant and fulfilled life. Thank you for joining us on this week's Echo Church Podcast. Before we get into this week's conversation, I want to ask a small favor of you. If you've been enjoying what you are hearing, we would love for you to simply leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Today, Pastor Andy and Christy Cass are sitting down with Chris and Sarah. Chris and Sarah are a biracial couple living in Chicago, planting a church. You will hear Pastor Andy reference the global pandemic and the global outrage throughout this conversation. We hope you are able to listen, hear the hearts, and find clarity for yourself and those around you. Thanks for joining, jumping on Zoom with us. We're excited to continue to root you on as you're planting in the midst of a global pandemic and a global outrage now. So way to go. So talk to us a little bit about your journey up to this point. Why are you planning a church? How did you figure out it's going to be Chicago? And did you ever imagine being where you're at today in the midst of what we're all experiencing? Wow. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for having us. You know, the theme of my life, at least, and I don't know about you, but the theme for my life has been God totally wrecking every single plan that I had for my life. And it just, from a very young age, you know, I've always been kind of a go-getter and always like, a man, I'm going to do this and then I'll do this and then I'll do this and this will happen and I'll get this result. You know, I am an Enneagram type three, so I'm an achiever. I want to make it happen. <laughs> Let's go. And so pretty much, you know, when I met Sarah, actually at the time, like I mentioned a little bit ago, I was actually dating a girl. It was kind of like a dead end thing and definitely did not expect to meet Sarah. I met Sarah. I had started working at a church, came on staff and through the interview process, I hadn't met her and she can tell you a little bit more about that on her end. But when I had my first official Sunday, I was uh, getting ready for worship and about to lead the church and I uh, was on stage and kind of, you know, messing around with the keyboard and all that stuff. And all of a sudden I heard somebody call my name and it definitely was like nothing I've ever heard before or since. Uh, but it was the most angelic, <laughs> beautiful thing I had ever heard in my entire life. And it was like, Chris. <laughs> and I turned around. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I turned around and I, you know, I laid eyes on her. And, you know, up until this point, I mean, I'm not like a super like Disney guy, but it just felt like like a love at first sight, like everything you see in the movies. And um, yeah, it was it was amazing. And I knew from the moment that I saw her that that was supposed to be my wife. And literally in my head, you know, obviously, like I'd love to tell you, like I just had this like, you know, very sweet moment. But it was a little bit more of a, you know, a type three moment. And I was like, I'm going to get that. And uh, <laughs> and so I did. Watch and, you know, me. <laughs> watch me. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that was a great moment, but we never really looked back. Yeah, we we pretty much started dating 
very soon after that. I mean, I'm talking about days after that. And, um, you know, we got engaged probably eight months after that. Mm-hmm. No, and six months, six months <laughs> after that. And then married, uh, three months after that. So it was super fast, mm-hmm. but nothing like I had expected or even built up in my head. And so even leading up to, um, our first, when we had our first date, one of the things that I said to her was, Hey, like I've been in a long-term relationship and I just don't want to play games. So like, this is the deal. Like, I feel like God's called me to plant a church one day. I don't know when, I don't know where. Are you okay with me doing that? And are you okay with me being in ministry for the rest of my life? And she was like, yeah, to both. And so we never looked back. And so here we are. We've been on so many adventures and wild rides. But yeah, it was back in 2017 when we kind of first identified that we felt like, you know, God was going to call us to, to plant a church. That first date, like he said, not normal first date conversation, but it was exactly what, you know, needed to be had at the time. And uh, yeah, I thought that was super cool. I had always felt like a call to be a pastor's wife, which was really weird because I was actually married to someone before who definitely was never going to be a pastor. And so, uh, yeah, that was just a moment of like, you know, oh, God, now I see what you've been saying this whole time. So um, yeah, Chicago definitely took when he said, you know, like in 2017, I feel like God's saying now is the time, or at least getting to become the time. And I feel like it's a place I feel like I got the place and you're not gonna like it. And I was like, Oh, you know, because how we do I'm like, what about like Utah? It's beautiful. What about like Arizona? Like they need Jesus, you know, somewhere great. And uh, obviously, Chicago is great. When he said Chicago, it was just a moment of like, really? Like, okay, if that's where you really feel God is saying, like, you know, I'll just continue to pray through that. And then I remember we took some time off work, a couple weeks, and came to the city. We were living in Columbus, Ohio at the time, and just like walked the streets. It was middle of summer, just walked around the neighborhoods, in fact, really close to where we live now, and just began to pray. And God just literally like broke my heart, just, you know, that that burden that I'm sure you guys experienced for your city of like, this is where you need to be. This is your people. You know, this is where I'm calling you to. And even then, you know, it still took a little bit of solidifying. And then I remember we were flying over Chicago for some reason. I don't even remember why. And it was like the whole time we were over Chicago, like my heart was like I was crying. So it was very much a, um, you know, almost a redemption story of, you know, I come from here, I have brokenness here, and God's bringing me back here to, you know, that probably will do some healing in me um, that I don't even know needs healing. But even more importantly, that if I can, you know, help bring people to Jesus and help them experience that healing, like what a story for the glory of God, you know, definitely. So all for Chicago, cannot imagine a better place. Utah, what? Like, I have no desire to be there. <laughs> So you said 2017, you had that discussion. When did you, like, with your timeline, like where you are now, when did you start, like, activating your dream and start going, like, all in for rhythm? Yeah. 2017, we had that conversation. And at that point, we were beginning to tell people about just the dream that God had put in our heart. And, you know, we had had like a lot of great people that had spoken to our lives and given us a lot of great wisdom. And then um, also we had people who on the opposite end, I would say, who discouraged us a little bit from doing that. And so I think for us, it was a great time for us to kind of re-galvanize in our hearts what we felt like God had called us to do. But also for me, I felt like um, there was a lot of growing that I needed to go through in order to be where I'm at right now today. And so definitely took a little, a couple of like pit stops along the way. Yeah, like almost jumped in 2017. Like no plan, 
you know, just like, we feel God saying this, let's just jump off the cliff. And that literally, no joke, the last second, like I had resigned my job. We had no idea where we were going to live, jobs, anything in Chicago, resigned a great job I had in Columbus, Ohio. And at the, like, we were going to leave on Monday and this was Friday. We got a phone call from our incredible pastor, um, Greg Ford in Columbus. And it was very clear God was saying, uh, like not yet. And luckily got my job back right away. And, uh, but yeah, we were ready to jump in 2017. God was like, you know, oh, hold on, hold on. Got more, like he said, some healing, some learning to take place. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, um, a dream without a plan is a hallucination. So I feel like if you... That should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's good. I feel That's like, good. you know, I mean, you can have the dream in your heart. And I mean, even if you look at the Bible, you know, Joseph was given a dream and it didn't happen right away. It was mm-hmm. many years until he actually even stepped into that. And so for us, you know, I just feel like, yeah, that, that was a little bit of our story. We had got to come on staff uh, with our, with our mentor and be there with them for a bit and help them as they uh, went from one campus to two campuses and kind of help transition them through that with some systems and stuff. And then. So actually took a whole nother year out in Pennsylvania working at a church. And so, yeah, it just, you know, we kind of got to the place where I think when we were out there, we wanted to make sure we were going to be in a healthy spot and a, and a, a good spot in order to jump. Cause I think there is an element of church planning that is faith, but yeah. obviously, you know, with faith, we don't want to be foolish. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, 2017, if we would have jumped, did it then, you know, our, our whole situation would look totally different than it looks now. And yeah. so I'm definitely thankful that we leaned into that. And so even actually in 2017, we were going to name our church like a completely different name and different stuff, different values. And so it's just like, it's so interesting that living more life and experiencing more mm-hmm. life and growing with God more, um, yeah. we just learned a lot more. And I think we kind of uh, got a better understanding of some things. And yeah. so then it was, uh, uh, would have been 2019 oh. summer of last year when we kind of just got to the point where we were like okay like mm-hmm. and we did jump yeah no we jobs did, we did nowhere to live we did jump but we did get to a point where we were like okay like there's being prepared and there's being over prepared and you know i mean nobody likes a well done steak come on you <laughs> you gotta have just a little bit of it the element of like okay like there's a little bit of we're just going to risk it all in order to do what we feel like God's called us to do. And so, yeah. So last summer we made the jump to actually move here. And uh, it has just literally been like God's story after mm-hmm. God's story of getting to the point where we're at right now. And obviously we're not anywhere near where where we feel like God inevitably is going to take us. But we just feel like, man, it's been so incredible so yeah. far. So let's talk about that global pandemic and now this Global outrage is kind of what what I term it. I mean, what are you thinking, man? I mean, you waited pretty much two years to plant a church, and now you're here in this very moment. Yeah. You know, honestly, I just feel like there's many times in life when, you know, you're presented with an opportunity where it's either, hey, like you could shrink back or you could step up. And probably every time in my life I'm presented with that challenge, I always step up. I always like to tell this like stupid cheesy story. But when I was in like sixth grade, uh, I remember playing football at the school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I remember like we were playing our rival and everybody was afraid of them. And after the game was over, we got beat so bad. But after the game was over, their people were out at our bus and they were 
were trying to rally us up and trying to get us going. And everybody else just like stood back and they were like back of the bus. And I, I mean, I was one of the youngest ones. I even I was like sixth grade and everybody else was like in eighth and seventh grade. And instead of like shrinking back, I like stood up and I got punched in the nose and my nose started bleeding. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like that's just always what I felt called to do is like not to sit back, but like to take life by the horns and to really just, you know, be a leader. And so a part of this was kind of that conversation, you know, when we moved here in 2019, you know, I began to pray and seek the Lord about how we were supposed to make this church thing happen. And coincidentally, I just kept coming across different curriculum and different things about digital church. And uh, it's so interesting because I just kind of was like, oh, cool. Like, we'll have an online presence with our church. But I never imagined that we would actually begin our church from a digital space. I kind of was presented with the same moment like I was back in sixth grade. I just kind of felt like, hey, like, man, like we got to step up and somebody has to be willing to do something that's unorthodox in order to reach people. And so what we did was uh, we decided that day and I, <laughs> I believe we had we made it happen in like 10 days. Yeah. But we just said, hey, we're going to do church online and we're going to build community online. We have a team. And so we're going to start there, but we're going to just begin to allow God to use us and speak to us. And and then we're going to be the church because at the end of the day, we've always said it and we've said it for years. The church is not a building, but now we really had to put our money where our mouth was. Mm -hmm. And so we just were like, hey, let's do it. Let's live it out. And it has been honestly just so interesting. And then now the added element of, like you said, that now we have a global outrage on top of the global pandemic. And I just feel like even more so that God has just called us to be a voice in this mm-hmm. in this hour where, you know, I believe that, you know, everyone needs this. But I believe specifically that black people need leadership and they need a voice that would kind of be a voice that wouldn't just be about, you know, wouldn't just be about outside issues, but it would be about our people meeting Jesus and our people being all that God has created them to be. And so I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it could have been anybody else, but I just kind of felt like God was saying like, hey, man, this is your time, like step into it and I'm with you. And I think, yeah, right before this hit too, God gave me um, Joshua 1.9 and I was just like, okay. <laughs> so I started reading it and then global pandemic happens And then global outrage happens and I'm like, ah, I got you. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to be strong and courageous, but we can be because God is with us. So, you know, just to know that God is never going to leave us through every battle, through every obstacle, through every news story, through every thing, God is is here with us. And I think we just have the opportunity to just kind of lean into that. In 2019, when we finally decided to jump, Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with this guy and he was like, you know, you have to find your rhythm. He kept saying he's probably said it probably like 10 times in the middle of this conversation that lasted like two minutes. And it just every time he said it, I was just like, oh, shoot. And then I called Sarah up and I was like, hey, like, what do you think about Rhythm Church? And she's like, yeah, I think that's cool. It came back to me in that moment, like my favorite verse in the Bible is, Matthew eleven twenty eight, And in the message translation, it says, are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you worn out? Get away with me. You recover your life. Get away with me and I'll show you the unforced rhythms of grace. And so honestly, it has been like so crazy, like doing this church thing, because I just feel like it's been so natural and it just has flowed. And it's just been, it's just been so, yeah, just that rhythm of grace. 
as God speaks each step and we move into it, it's like the provision as far as people, needs. You know, of course, we had been fundraising. So luckily, we had a little pot of money to buy camera equipment and lights that were good quality. You know, can't tell right now because we're in a weird spot. But you know what I mean? So God had just really already been moving in that direction, of course. You know, we had no idea. So to make something happen like that in 10 days was, you know, easier than it should have been. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you too. I think it's by divine interruption, really, that we got to meet at the CMN conference. Yes. Yeah, I don't even know how that happened. The lobby. I think Christy. I think Christy. I think you and Christy kind of had this. Sarah connection. and I started talking, and then she introduced me to Chris, and then we didn't we know friends of yours too. I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah think so. Dan Maybe. and Abigail, right? Yeah, yes, because yeah. we had sat with him at a CMN roundtable. But I think what happened is, is the three, four, you guys were like. There was some kind of gravity. That's true, yeah. Three fours for life. Plus, you guys are so awesome. So how could you not be drawn to, you know? Uh, Which is really random, Christy, because I am very introverted. I'm a number one, like, Enneagram, like, extreme, like, to the T. Very introverted. I obviously push myself out of that because a pastor's wife would not be really great at pastoring people if she weren't, you know, pushing herself out. But I am an introvert and I don't ever like make conversation with people that I don't know. It's just not me. And you were like the first and only (laughs) person at that conference. You know, I'll engage in conference or conversation if I'm with Chris, of course, but I would never like stand there and speak to someone who I had never talked to before. And you were just so, I just was so drawn to you. And I'm like, dude, I met the coolest chick. Like I love her, you know? So yeah. Well, thank you. I felt the same. I mean, cause we were there with a lot of people from Minnesota. And so when you have that, it's a security blanket that you don't necessarily need to go out and meet people. But it, I fully believe that we were supposed to meet. Like, guys, same thing. Because you guys gave me your cards. I was like, and then we were in bed. I remember that name. I'm like, I got to find them on Instagram. Rhythm, you know, and I'm like Googling. And no, you guys are amazing. And my thing with you that I felt the minute I met you is that you are magnetic. And just your passion. And even because I remember I was like, Rhythm, like, explain it to me. And tell me how you met. And you told me your age gap. You told me about your kids. Like, you're just sharing your passions. And I just was so excited. I'm like, Andy, we have to help them. We have to like, let's keep friendship going. And then, so, I mean, we've been really encouraged and I just love, I have such a heart for church planners. I mean, I still feel we haven't even hit a year yet. We're still fresh as well, but it's just, it's like, you kind of enter, you enter a team you didn't really know existed. And then, cause I remember when we said we were doing it with some of our friends that have planted, they're like, now, you know, like you will get it. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. It's just, it's a beast. Yeah, no. but we it's definitely, good. yeah. Even me, like, obviously, like I'm a, I'm a conference fanatic. I love going to conferences and meeting people and getting cards. And, but definitely we felt, yeah, super drawn to you guys and definitely like love watching you guys. And we've been, I mean, I've, I think I've watched Echo Church every week since we left the CMN conference, Aww. but love what you guys are doing. And mm-hmm. definitely in the, in the midst of this, you know, disruption, like you guys are just killing it. And um, yeah, it's, it's a lot, but you know, I'm definitely look to you guys as, as leaders right now that are, Mm. that are crushing it. So much props to you. I know there's probably been many sleepless nights Mm. on Saturdays trying to get stuff rolling and stuff that's not worked right. But you know, I I definitely want to just honor you and say thank you for pushing and pushing for excellence and pushing for people. So yeah, it's definitely shines through anytime we watch. So definitely want to honor you in that. My grandpa's Polish. 
At least we, th that's what I thought he was like full Polish now to find out later in life that he wasn't exactly that. But his last name was Bamuski. He moved to Chicago and because of some of the pre prejudice against Polish him, people. Him getting a job. Uh, and trying to get a job. He ended up changing his name to Kashmir Bamuski to Philip Cass. Because everyone, his name was Kashmir and everyone called him Cass. So we thought we'd lean into to you guys, to you, and and learn a few lessons in the midst of, like I said, the global outrage. And that's kind of, I just have to confess, I watched uh, Ahmad Arbery about a month ago and my heart was just like torn to pieces. It's just was such a tragic video, never seen anything like it. And to know that that wasn't Hollywood, that was real. Right. And that was the first time I've ever like responded probably publicly to, to you know, that injustice. And then we were in a staff meeting last week on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And one yeah. of our, one of our uh, people are in that conversation or like in the midst of that conversation brings up, Hey, there's this guy that happened in Minneapolis. And I watched a video. Was, was that, yeah. I watched a video and the guy's face was, was blurred out because it was on news. Now just think about how crazy a week difference changes, right? news and how much they can show on on screen so face is blurred and they've muted everything mm -hmm. and i honestly as a white man responded the wrong way with some questions that i probably shouldn't have asked and so since that day i was like because i went home that night and watched the whole thing i you know sort of research because i was like man i you know something's not like i should see the full story he's an enneagram um, one and, and honestly, like after I watched it, I was like, boy, I'm just a blatant idiot and I've got to learn to listen before I talk. And in these moments, when I don't completely understand how people are feeling to position myself as a learner and a listener first. And so really this calls about Chris, you give us the light, my friend and Sarah, uh, you being connected as well. Uh, living up, uh, growing up, in, growing up in Chicago, uh, midst of diverse, probably a lot of diversity. What can you tell some middle-aged forty-year-olds uh, <laughs> in, in rural Minnesota? First of all, I just want to say, dude, like your heart, man. I can, I can feel it, and mm -hmm. you know, I, I think as a black man, you know, the biggest thing that I've always endeavored in my life is for people to understand my perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though you may not necessarily be able to maybe not understand, even though you may be not able to understand it, but just honor it as a valid perspective has mm -hmm. been my, my dream for my life and for my kids and for my future kids, hopefully one day. Yep. Still trying. Um, so I just think that, you know, that that's the place to start is that, you know, to be honest, there's a lot of people out there that claim to know all the answers to this thing. And I just think that there's no one person out here, minus Jesus, that can really, really grasp all of this. There's so many layers. There's so many levels. There's so many points of views. And I just think like most people, yeah, that someone would take the time to understand my situation as a valid perspective. And so yeah, I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. And I'm really grateful for having two parents that raised me well. My parents, my dad was an uh, Air Force guy, um, but also a pastor. And then my mom, worship leader, vocalist, incredible 
musician, just amazing. Yes. But whole family, like pastors and preachers and worship leaders. So, you know, they raised me really well. And um, they didn't raise me from a perspective where they shielded me from everything, but they raised me from a perspective where they really helped me to see that and educate me on the way that if I want to make a difference in this life, how to rise above everything that would happen to me. I just refused to quit and I refused to allow what the voices around me were saying. And I just leaned in to the things that my parents raised me in. I think one of the hardest things about everything kind of going on right now is that there are many people in the black community that did not grow up like that, that did not have people in their lives that were saying, hey, you know, you can make it, you can get through this, mm-hmm. you know, this is the way you progress, this is the way you basically prove the, the haters wrong. You know, like a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. And so a lot of people these days, you know, act out of a place of hurt. You know, I I believe the statement hurt people hurt people. And so right now, one of the hardest things is that we're we're in this weird, you know, juxtaposition of, you know, we have people who are extremely hurt, who are mourning the loss of not only George Floyd, but many others before him. And then you have also, you know, now they're acting out of this really bad spot. And so I first and foremost just want to say, like, you know, I don't believe that rioting is the way. I don't believe that that that's the way, the better way. I don't believe that that's the best way that God has for us. But in the same sentiment, you know, my heart aches for people who haven't had the opportunity to grow up in a place, in a space where they were loved and nurtured and cared for and shown the better way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really tough and really hard. So I, I see a lot of people, you know, out there, you know, there's a lot of comments, there's a lot of memes, there's a lot of posts, a lot of people saying a lot of different things. And I think in America, I just would endeavor that people would not necessarily worry so much about being right, but they would worry about understanding other people's perspectives and just having empathy. Mm -hmm. And so wherever you're at, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Mm -hmm. brown, like just understanding different people's perspectives and understanding them as valid perspectives and um, starting a conversation from that standpoint, not trying to be right or not trying to necessarily right every wrong that's happened mm-hmm. in an emotional state, but be able to have a conversation and start there and start the dialogue there and then um, be able to progress and move forward from there. But yeah, I think those are kind of some just like <laughs> thoughts right off the top. And yeah, again, I'm super grateful for the things that I've been afforded, but I definitely feel for those people because I think there's even those people who would say like me, you know, that even though I've had like a great upbringing and all these things, um, you know, I've still experienced like Mm -hmm. some hard things. And it's just really tough right now to have this conversation. But I appreciate you guys for being willing to, you know, maybe be a little uncomfortable in order to have this conversation and talk about some things that maybe a little uncomfortable, but I believe that this is the way forward. This is the beginning, but this isn't the end. So uh, we have to find next steps from this. So this is the next step, but after this, there's, there's plenty of things to do. And yeah, I just believe that it's super important that the church leads the way in yeah. that. Because at the end of the day, the Bible says that, you know, we're no longer Jew or Gentile, but we're all one in Christ. And so that's our starting point. And if we can't get to that point, 
we can never truly lead the way. And, and then, you know, because at the end of the day, this is not a problem that will be solved by legislation. This is a problem that will be solved by the hearts of people meeting mm-hmm. a God that loves them unconditionally, that yeah. models love. The Bible says that, you know, how, how can I say I love God, but don't love my brother? Yeah. And so I just believe that if we're going to love God and we're going to live authentically, we've got to love those around us. But it all starts and ends with Jesus. As uncomfortable as it is, we are being pushed to get ahead because we're so behind. And I just felt encouraged from God in that. But with me saying all that, like, I have struggled. I think it's interesting because I feel like in the past, people are like, churches need to stay out of it. Churches just, you know, like, yes, we are called to love people. We are called to be messengers of hope and to share the gospel. And I'm not saying not minimizing that, but we're also called to speak out and we're, we're called to step up to the plate. And when we see injustice, that we say things and doing it in an honoring way. And when you see a brother or sister that's not being treated the way they should be treated, you do something. And so for me, as you know, being leaders at Echo and lead pastors, it's been this interesting like tension that I'm feeling and but I'm like, churches need to step up. And people are looking to us on what are you going to say about this? Because um, I have had those conversations a lot. And again, people are just at different points. The Enneagrams helped me so much with understanding Enneagram numbers, like the ones that are still processing everything. And they're in the Bible or they're reading books, they're learning, they're gaining. They, they're like, I'm not educated enough, so I'm just going to learn. And there's the ones that's like, let's rally, let's talk about this, you know, and or I'm just going to help. Like, just tell me where to sign up and I'm there. But it's understanding that too, that language of how people are helping and seeing the need. But with all of the stuff I just said, what is one thing that has stood out to you, Chris, and to you, Sarah, where you feel the church could do a better job? Or if you were to be in a room with pastors right now, or even just your church at Rhythm and say, like, let's be a church that does this. I would literally just say would be to speak up and say something. Now, I know that's, you know, easy for me to say, but to be honest, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I, you know, I've worked for some churches and been a part of some organizations where that thing was not maybe necessarily, you know, what we were asked to do, you know, was something we were asked to kind of stay away from these things when they happen. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think it, it, it just kind of boils down to if we are going to be the church and we got to care about things that Jesus cared about. And he cared about people who were marginalized, people who were outcast, people who were, you know, not seen favorably in some of these situations and circles. And so I just think that, you know, not to say that obviously, you know, we, you know, we want to definitely be careful with what we say, but at the same time, it's like, man, silence is almost worse. Yeah. And when we are silent, I believe that we can be complicit in some of these things and that our our silence really speaks volumes. And so I, you know, even for me, like I had to do some soul searching to say like, Hey, like, you know, that's not okay. Like if some, something that is unjust, like we got to speak up mm-hmm. for it. And obviously there's a way in, in which to do that in a grace and truth type of way. But at the same time, you know, by just staying silent, just cause, you know, we don't want to offend somebody or because of whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Whatever reason, I just don't believe silence is a thing that we need to do because 
I mean, think about it. Like, if we don't say anything, then there's obviously going to be other voices out in the world that are saying stuff Mm -hmm. and promoting certain things. And so if the church refuses to speak up, then other people will fill that void. And obviously, we believe that we have the truth and we would love to speak up and love to speak what God and what Jesus says about these situations. And so for me, it's just, yeah, just open your mouth. Man, you may say something dumb. Like, I've said (laughs) dumb stuff. Like, you may say something that doesn't make sense, may hurt somebody, you may offend somebody. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we can ask for forgiveness, but, you know, God knows our heart. He sees our heart. And if we're like refusing to speak up due to the fact that we're afraid that, you know, people may leave our church or like certain things may happen, then, you know, I mean, obviously God's not going to love that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that that's, that's it for me. I would say to pastors, leaders, I'd say, Hey, like, you know, use your platform and you have people that you can influence that I can't influence. So if by you speaking up and saying something, it's going to do way more for the world than if you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's interesting because it's almost the flip side of that, right? Like his is speaking up and mine is really like being willing to listen. The biggest thing I've experienced and I'm So I was never raised to be racist. My dad definitely raised me. You know, we treat everyone equal. You know, obviously I grew up in Chicago. And like you mentioned, extremely, it's the fifth most segregated city in America, which is crazy because it has so many cultures. You know, I grew up like the Polish people live here. The Puerto Rican people live here. Not necessarily that we, I for one, speaking for myself, I was never taught to hate the other people, but we just kept our own kind. But I graduated from a high school here. I was one of six white people in the entire school. So I say that to say, I feel like even I've had a little more exposure to other cultures than maybe some of my fellow white friends, but I still learned so much after walking through life with him for the last eight years. And so I think if people could just listen. And when I say listen, I mean, listen without talking back right away. Listen without, you know, I've had so many conversations in the last few days where I'm saying one thing and, and I've been trying to be so conscious of what I'm saying. And I'm just trying to get people to reflect. Not that I'm telling you you're wrong. That's not my place, but just asking questions or posting something out there that just think about this. And it's amazing to me. The thing I have seen over and over is people respond with their like canned rhetoric. And I, and I don't mean that. And I'm not being aggressive in that or, you know, hostile. Just it's like there, it's so ingrained in who we are that we don't even hear what we're speaking back to. We like, it comes across and we immediately respond with what, you know, we think our response is supposed to be. So I think if we could just listen, listen to black people, listen to brown people, you know, even listening to the riots. Like he said, we hate the riots. It's causing so much pain and and destruction. But at the same time, like, I agree with you. I don't believe God causes God didn't bring Corona. God didn't cause this, but God does bring shaking and, and moving to things that need change. You know, we have had a comfortable world, a comfortable society. And we, I will say, I mean, you know, white middle class people, you know, we have had it better than most. However, you know, we need this. We need this shaking up. We need this, you know, in the face of chaos and we need to be angry. You know, because when we get angry, it at least gets it out there. The, this stuff happens all the time. The injustices happen all the time. The black people are killed all the time. All these things happen, but we never get angry. We never get upset. Now you burn our buildings and our targets. Okay, now we're mad. If that's what it takes for us to get angry about something, at least we're there. And now this can all come to the surface. 
Having said that, yeah, I think just listen. And, and when there's, whether it's a black leader or a white leader, I don't care who it is. If they're speaking about racism, if they're speaking about injustice, you don't have to agree with them at the end of the conversation, but just hear them. And then I think take inventory. You know, the, our job is not to tell people you're wrong. Here's where you're missing it. This is what you should believe about privilege. This is what you, that's not the job. But we all have a responsibility as Christians. I won't even talk about the world, you know, the world right now as Christians. Like at the end of our lives, we are giving an account for what we have done, good and bad. And I'm sorry, but some of us are going to stand before God. And in the midst of this, we have missed it. And he's going to call it out. And so I think as a Christian, like, just open your heart, open your spirit. Don't be prideful. Have a little humility. And just think maybe for a second, I might not be right. Or I might not be all the way right. Just listen. I think that's the starting point from here. I'm sitting at our little Echo office and I get a phone call. I'm trying to prepare for this conversation and what I feel like the Lord's trying to speak to me. And I was stupid enough to answer my phone. And it was a telemarketing person trying to sell me on an online giving platform for our church. Within the first two minutes, I said to him as a high, high eight, Enneagram eight, which by the way, you were sounding like an Enneagram eight just a second ago. It was amazing. Uh, come on, you were preaching. And uh, literally this guy was like, well, you know, you know, let me talk to you about this. And, I, and he was like, would you be interested in some of the content that I can give you? And I was like, honestly, man, like between Corona and like our backyard burning, yeah. like, yeah. like I can't really handle that. And do, honestly, 11 minutes in, I was ready to like lose my salvation because the dude, the dude did not hear yeah. too nice. <laughs> what I said, but I'm not always that nice. I used to be a telemarketer, by the way. And guess when I was a telemarketer? When I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Yes. I think for me, what I, the journey that I've been on so much, like our kids, we picked their elementary school so they would be with a lot of kids with different diversity. Like we were very intentional with that. You know, like all that. And so I think for me, I've always been like, I've learned, I've prided myself like, well, that's how I am. Like I'm healthy. And then what I've learned in this process, like it's bigger than me, Christy. Like I need to help and I need to lead and I need to listen to conversations. And and us as leaders, it's like, well, yeah, we are, we want diversity in our church and we love everyone and we can say all these things, but we need to act it out and we need to bring people in and to have conversations and to talk about it because not everyone is at the same spot, you know? And even with me, I've been more vocal this time around on social media and I'm like, it's time. Like I can't sleep at night. Like it's like, it's, it's time for me to step out and step up. And, and I don't know, I, I think I'll, I've seen that in a lot of people that I know is that it's like, well, it's an excuse where you check it off. Like, well, this is my thought process and like, I'm good. Like when I evaluate my life, but it's like, okay, but God's like, okay, it's just like getting saved. Well, I'm saved. So who cares? It's like, um, Christy, like go reach people and go get like, it's not about you. It's that immediate, like go out into the world. And I think that that for me right now, that has been my biggest wake up call this past week of like, why am I so emotional over this? And I can't like, 
And it's been this brokenness of like, how have I been this off? And so. Yep. And just like you've been saved, like same thing with this whole deal is like after you get saved, you know, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So, I mean, even in this particular thing, I think like what you have to do now is like be that for people. You have to be a light for people to see and model it, you know, for people to see what it looks like to live a life where you do uh, care about your brother and your neighbor. And, right. and and so, yeah, no, I love that. I think that's that's so great. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to give some validity to like the spiritual concept of like, you know, you're, I'm over here in Chicago, you're over there in Rochester, and we both experience that exact same burden. So like, obviously I've always made posts, you know, there's been many, obviously things that have happened, black men who've been killed over, you know, even the last 10 years, I've always, you know, expressed an outrage, but then it was like, I kind of just left it alone. And this time, and not intentionally, not because I thought I did enough or, you know, I didn't really even think past that. This last time, this time, like he'll testify, I could not stop crying yesterday. Like I'm exhausted right now. Like my heart was so broken and I will tell you why, you know, the riot thing. That's been the big thing between white people and black people now that I've experienced is like riots, like, oh, they're killing our people. Like don't see how those are the same, but okay. And I respect people's opinions. The riot thing, I really had to think through for myself, not, you know, what is my black husband telling me? Because I obviously take major stock of that, but also, you know, what am I seeing out here? And I really had to think internally, like, what, what do I feel about it and why? And I realized I have never felt an anger or a hurt that made me want to burn a building down. And that breaks my heart that we have people who are so hurting and so righteously angry that their response is to burn down a city. To me, like, I don't, I don't get an opinion. I don't want an opinion. I'm not black. I haven't experienced what they experienced. I don't get an opinion. No one gets an opinion about, you know, being a white woman if they're not a white woman. So I don't want an opinion about it. I don't get one. I didn't experience it. But my heart is so broken that that's how they feel. And so that was a new revelation for me. You know, rioting is not new. Looting is, none of this is new. This has been happening decades, you know, I mean, hundreds of years. But this particular cycle of, you know, we beat or kill a black person. We see it on video. We have some memes. There's rioting and looting. And it all happens again. Like, this has been a solid 30 years. Rodney King is my first memory of seeing a black person just degraded like a dog. Riots breaking out. White people judging the riots. And here we are again, 30 years later, the exact same thing. I said all that to say, this time, with that reflection of God, what do I feel about this and why do I feel it? He showed me the reason, the the cause. And Chris has verbalized that. I mean, many great leaders, Martin Luther King Jr. verbalized, you know, rioting is the, or is it rioting, protesting? I don't want to quote him wrong, of course, you know, is the voice of the unheard. So like, I've heard it, but this time I got it. So I set out to say this time, I agree with you completely. And I think that brings validity to God is calling us to do this in this moment, that as people of God, if we feel a burden, speak out. And of course, we're going to use love. We're going to use respect. I shouldn't be cussing on my post. I shouldn't be degrading anyone. That's not what God would do. Yeah, no, way way to be an advocate. You know, I love that you're honest and you're saying, I I really don't have a right to be, I don't have the right to have an opinion, but you're advocating for your husband and more. And uh, I'm going to get emotional because I grew up in central Wisconsin 
And um, I grew up in a racist environment just because I grew, it was just there in that city. And I've said things that I'm not proud of. And I want to apologize to you. I've never done this. Never, never. And I wish it could have been in person. I wish we could keep our masks off and hug each other. You know what I'm saying? But, but it's, it's one of those things where when I remember being at North Central University, a Christian college, I'm, I'm studying to be a pastor. A man comes in, African-American man, and he's speaking about the ministry of reconciliation. And I was so bored out of my gourd. And I didn't even understand. Again, I just, I just want to apologize that in my past, man, I, I truly just admit that I didn't know what I didn't know. And I'm hoping that my children get to grow up knowing a few more things because dad decided to listen. Yeah, mm. they will. Man, I appreciate you, man. I wanted to put myself into the position of learning and listening in the midst of anger or in the midst of whatever was going on. And so Christy and I actually had a slight debate whether that was acceptable for me to go. Uh, I went anyway. And, uh, but I heard, I heard her and she goes, well, are you going to go alone? And I was like, yeah, what's the big deal? And uh, at the last second, I called some young friends of mine and said, hey, just uh, you guys want to come? And so they jumped in the truck and we just we couldn't find the kind of the protesters for a moment. And then so we were walking around, hanging out, and then we heard a large explosion. And I was like, holy cow, what's going on, man? And we took the corner and there was a large group of not not extremely large, but a, a group of people kind of walking down our Broadway as well as a bunch of cars and kids were on top of the cars and trucks and all that jazz. So I was like, okay, well, it's time. Let's position there. And I'm sharing all this to get to this one point. And I told Chris this already today. I had a GoPro and I'm, I'm not very fearful, so I don't mind putting a camera in front of someone's face. I just wanted to be able to, you know, just wa- just film what, what, what I was experiencing and if the opportunity shows itself, then maybe I'll show to the world. I don't know. To try to educate people, I guess. And I, I had uh, filmed a group of uh, African-American boys in a car. And when the camera got in their face, just like any teenager I've ever worked with, man, they were just like loving it, you know? So I filmed these guys. They went ballistic. And then when I got about 50 feet away, some dude was yelling out that door, are you with us? Mm. Mm. And that was just like kind of the moment I needed to hear. And we chatted a little bit about that, Chris, and, and that grabbed your heart a little bit as well. So uh, what's your reaction to that, man, as a follower of Christ, as a, as a black man, as a church planner <laughs> yeah. during a global pandemic, man? What's your response? Man, that it grabbed me right away, just the desperation almost sounding in his voice or even just the, you know, wanting to know, like, is this situation safe or can I like, you know, be myself? Can I or do I need to be on guard in this in this moment? Just many things. And I just feel like questions, you know, that, you know, we shouldn't have to ask. But, you know, we find ourselves in this season of life where we do, we really have to ask ourselves as a black man, um, as we look back to 
Ahmaud Aubrey, I just kind of think, you know, when that when I saw the video for that, I mean, to be honest, man, I was honestly even afraid to like go outside of my house because I was like, dude, this could be it. I could walk out and never come back to the house, you know. So I just think, man, it's it's just a, like a really sad place to be that, you know, we have to fear for our lives some days. I think, you know, just the fear that has been in our minds between different cultures and different uh, backgrounds and different ethnicities shouldn't be. I mean, I don't think that we should live in a constant cycle of fear where we're having to say like, okay, is this person a safe person? And so, you know, my heart is that, you know, that we wouldn't have to judge people based on their outward appearance, but we would, like Dr. King said, you know, be able to judge them by the content of their character. And so it's just a really sad place to be in that, you know, we're still here and, you know, that it's in, we're still still like we're still doing that and you know obviously we do it for for self-preservation or whatever reason but yeah just a really sad place to be and so even growing up I mean I grew up in a town in Oklahoma just north of Tulsa called Bartlesville and it's a very small town the population is I believe point zero one Mm African-American. And so I I had a really interesting upbringing. I wrote a post about it the other day on Facebook, just kind of like saying like, hey, these are like a couple of the experiences that I've been through, like just some of the things. And it wasn't all of them. And and some of the experiences that I shared were very dialed down in the way that I wrote about them. And, you know, I just it's one of those things where I had to learn how to, um, yeah, just every single day know that what regardless of whatever situation I was going to go into, I would probably be one of the few African-Americans in the room and that I would always have to be on guard and I would always have to like, you know, just be about my wits and just like, and again, that kind of lends itself to like my upbringing because, you know, my parents kind of educated me on, you know, hey son, if you get pulled over by a police officer, like, you know, make sure you immediately put your hands like where they can see them. Don't make any fast movements, like make sure you call Call the officer by sir or ma'am. Make sure you, you know, don't argue. Make sure you don't do any of these things. And, you know, again, like, you know, even in that sense, I've been a little privileged because I had some of that knowledge and information. And so for that that kid to say that, yeah, just it's it's really sad because it's kind of like he was just, you know, um, he saw you and was like, oh, like, all right, is this dude like uh, is he with the cause or is he against the cause? You know, so it's sad that in America we're either like there's sides to this thing. Like it should be like, you know, this is a human thing. Like we're all like in this grand scheme of things it, together. And so it's just really a sad place to be. So, yeah, I mean, my prayer is that we would continue to tear down some of those walls of stereotypes and tear down some of those walls of prejudging people before we ever really know them. And I think that, you know, again, like Dr. King said, like that's that's a, that's the dream is that we would be in a place where we wouldn't do that anymore, where we would judge people solely off their character. So. I read that question totally different than, like, my response to that question would have been totally different than yours. Based on what you've experienced, like, you read it as fear, like, am I okay? I read it as solidarity. I read it as, are you with us? Like, are you helping us? Are you on our side? Are you on our team? Like, a hope. And not that, obviously, mine is right or whatever, but, like, just even our perspectives being so different in the same words. You said, you know, are you with us? Three words. And I, you read it as fear and preservation. I read it as hopefulness. Mm. So that's very interesting to me. How did you perceive it in the moment? 
You know, I was an observer. Like I said, I had positioned myself to just listen. And now when I look back, I think like, when's the last time the majority of Americans have positioned themselves in a place of discomfort to potentially kind of be uprooted or challenged yourself? And so I'm so glad I was down there. But my gut reaction when he asked me, are you with us, was I'm amongst you. And I don't know if that was, I didn't say that. I, to be honest, you know, I don't really want to be honest, but I will be. I just kind of played, I kind of played stupid as if like, I don't really want to answer that because I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really have the answer for that. And I'm, I'm a very literal person yet figurative, kind of an interesting mix there. But so when he asked me, are you with me or with us? I was like, I don't know if I can answer that. But what I want to do is I want to be around you enough to be able to answer that. And now that I'm on the flip side and I've processed and I've thought about it, if I had the opportunity to answer this young man, I would say, I am for you. That's so good. So I I think the profound little piece that I've learned this weekend, as people are looking and asking you, are you with us? Will you be amongst them long enough so then you can look back at them with authenticity and say, I am for you, and then actually have them believe you? Mm. Right. I think that's part of the problem of the culture that we live in, even in the Christian world, is we want to know if people are with us. And we jump to conclusion. We jump to that question. And instead of that being a question of invitation, it's a question of sending people out and saying, like, you know, it was almost as if the way I heard it was like, you with us, if you answer wrong, then who's, <laughs> are you going to stick around long enough to find out? Right, yeah. right. No, I love that. I love your perspective. I love your, just your attitude and your posture to, um, yeah, to continue to process mm-hmm. that out. And to to continue to try to see where, you know, that person is coming from. Again, like, I think that that's the big hope for a lot of people is just, would you understand where I'm coming from and be willing to, you know, advocate for me, be for me, even if you aren't necessarily totally aligned with all of my, you know, worldviews or whatever like that. So yeah, I think that, no, that's a great place to be. And um, yeah, I think, you know, when I look at kind of some of these situations, you know, I, I'm reminded of when I was growing up and, you know, what's the thing you always hear, or at least I always heard when I would be out in the yard playing or out in the street playing basketball or something, there would be, sometimes there'd be like neighborhood dogs that would get get loose. And like the thing that somebody would always tell me would be that, don't be afraid of a dog because most times they're actually more afraid of you than than you are of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of these situations, at least for me and my perspective from some people that you may encounter like that, is it could, you know, it, there could be a lot of fear on the other side of the page. You know, I mean, you know, from my perspective, if I would have heard that, like I said, it would have been like a, a thing is like, is this a, in an OK space or mm-hmm. do I have to like be ready to fight or, you know, or whatever? So um, I 
I just think that, yeah, there's a lot of fear out there and we tend to kind of alienate things that we fear and, and, and yeah, things that sure. we don't understand. And so I think it's you're, you're on the right path as far as trying to understand and trying to educate yourself and just trying to observe from somebody else's vantage point. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's great stuff. And I think that's exactly, you know, a great perspective to start seeing things from. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. If you have any questions or prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hey at wearetheecho.church. This episode was produced and mixed by Just Hit Publish Productions. 